One of the biggest fears in the marketplace today is the potential return for long-term inflation. So you have to find businesses that are capable of pricing in in excess of, or at least in tandem with, uh, the rise in prices caused by inflation, without the loss of volume, because the consumer believes that your product meets their needs essentially in a, a superior way than others, and that's what we look for as investors. Sempervic Partners, Tom Russo on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. A well-known Wall Street saying is that bull markets climb a wall of worry. This week's exclusive Wealth Track guest, global value investor Tom Russo, quoted that adage in a recent letter to his Sempervic Limited Partners, noting that we today live through what, to my mind, are the most unusual collection of worries that investors have had to grapple with in my 40-year-long investment journey. He went on with this perspective. Over the decades, there have been episodes when a given company or a given industry suffers extreme sell-offs, often based on issues that prove to be of a temporary nature. These episodes have been what we have been able to harness over the decades to invest when others are most fearful. Here's his kicker. Rarely have I ever seen an investment environment in which our core shareholdings across industries, geographies, and jurisdictions are uniformly weak. What's different this time and what is Russo doing as many other investors are becoming more fearful? Tom Russo is managing member and portfolio manager at the investment advisory firm Gardner, Russo & Quinn, where he oversees around $11 billion, including his Sempervic Partners Funds, which he launched in 1983, heavily influenced by a talk Warren Buffett gave to his Stanford Business School class. Since converting to a limited partnership in 1990, Sempervic has generated 11% compound annual returns, outpacing the S&P and swamping its global benchmark. The global value manager focuses on owning a small group of exceptionally well-managed, globally recognized brand name firms, 17 at last count, with dominant, almost unassailable positions in their mostly consumer-oriented businesses and then holding them pretty much forever. Of note, Berkshire Hathaway has consistently been one of his largest positions and is currently the largest by far. We started our discussion with this 40-year perspective of the unusual collection of worries investors face. What are at the top of his list? Unexpected one, uh, ones have been uh, war in the Ukraine, has been the re- return of inflation, uh, as, as it's now recognized, the um, ongoing troubles with China and, and their COVID uh, exposures and and given their critical role in manufacturing and critical role in consuming globally on the playground, you know, it's, it's a, a big unknown and, and, and uh, which way China will break finally. Interest rates have gone from uh, 0.6% for the three-year Treasury to 3.5 or something. And, uh, and mortgage rates have followed from 3% mortgage rates to 6.5%. That right. starts to actually change the economics of buying a house, um, and uh, and so that's being uh, processed. Um, the dollar is extremely strong in the face of all of this. Of course, that affects your companies. Yeah, right. Yep, it absolutely does. And so the dollar is powering along. It's good for Americans, 
uh, it isn't it isn't particularly well for international oriented investors. So, those are some of the big the big highlights. When you're talking to your portfolio of companies, you're yes. I think you've got you know 17 yeah. now, very yes. concentrated you know brand name household yeah. names that we'd all yeah. know. Um, basically, you know, what are they telling you about this environment? It's hard to to overcome the structural impasses that COVID delivers. You know, the the the, the scramble for raw materials, the scramble even more so for labor. You know, it's amazing to mm -hmm. think that we have the, the level of structural employment that we unemployment that we have, and people cannot find work uh, workforce. So that's not just the case in the U.S. That's also the case it's in. Global. It's global. it's global. Yeah, it's really very global. And our companies are global. And what I would say is that it's, it's remarkable. I and mean, I'm just looking down the list of, of the uh, uh, first, uh, the second quarter, and the kinds of, of, of gains in terms of revenue. Um, you have, I know you have uh, uh, Nestle's up 7%, uh, MasterCard up 27%, Alphabet up 26%, um, first half half revenues. Mm -hmm. So the business, the consumer is, is ready to go. Um, and and uh, when when the economic and the political and the, and the social outlook is, is right, you see enormous appetite for consumption. Having you know, restrained them, all of ourselves for the past three years, people are willing to really uh, indulge. And it's happening right. outside of in equity investments. Um, it, it's happening with Physical goods, um, you know, uh, secondhand Hermes purses going for thousands and thousands of dollars, and and uh, and luxury watches, um, which Richemont traffics in, um, selling at three times the price at, from retail just across the street to, to a local barter guy. It's amazing. There's something strange. There's too much money around in some ways, and it's driving it's driving demand for products and and, and uh, services and all the rest, which probably have helped lead to uh, inflation. Right. So what's interesting about that, Tom, is, is it, by most accounts, we are entering into a global recession. And, you know, where we've had this incredible period of, uh, you know, liquidity pouring into um, many economies, um, yes. you know, either through central bank easing or, yeah. you know, or through fiscal, you know, tremendous stimulus through COVID. Yes. That now people are saying, you know, that's starting to dry up, and um, and that that if you're in a global recession, demand usually uh, basically diminishes. Yeah. So are, are you hearing any concerns about that at all from from some of your you know your core companies? And I'm yeah. thinking of like Nestle and you know Mastercard, uh, Philip Morris, Heineken, Richemont. Certainly, Re uh, Richemont and uh, Pernod Ricard. All of our luxury goods companies right. had had a setback uh, with one channel called global travel, because a lot of that business has been done historically by uh, businessmen, business people traveling through and uh, and stopping by and buying things en route. So that whole channel, it's about seven oh, percent of their businesses, mm -hmm. um, has has stumbled. Up until the arrival of the Russians on Ukrainian soil was that there was a celebration in some ways. Uh, it was, the, um, it was the, the joy, the recovery from having been uh, held at home. Locked and, up. And locked up. And people were really reaching out. And so we saw that in, in very strong demand for spirits from Pernod Ricard and from uh, uh, Brown Foreman. We saw that from uh, premium beer with Heineken and, and the AB InBev. And so 
there was there was a period. Now it was hard hit by by uh, the uh, the war movement, and people are a little pulled back a little bit of from their uh, giddy um, uh, spending. But um, mm -hmm. I, I'd say that in general, um, if you look at the the, the half year results of the five largest holdings in, in Sempervic, they've been surprisingly strong in terms of the revenue growth. That Nestle was modest at 7.5%, but um, it, enormous uh, uh, growth has, has experienced during the pandemic because of investments that they had made that enabled them to participate fully through the um, uh, e-commerce channel during mm -hmm. the downturn. So their growth rate may seem a, a little less dramatic, but they were very broadly involved with the consumer, even during the downturn, because of investments that they made in e-commerce. That said, one of the shocks out of Berkshire Hathaway at the annual meeting this year has been the vigor with which they've been pursuing oil and energy industry investments. Right. So to Occidental Petroleum, of, yeah. Chevron, to the and tune of seventy, Berkshire's almost sixty billion dollars. And and Berkshire, of course, is your largest holding by far. Yes. I think it's like eighteen yes. percent of your portfolio. Yeah. 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 Um, so how do you feel about Berkshire investing so heavily in energy or, you know, do, do you second guess Warren Buffett? No, I guess I have commitment bias. This is a concept in uh -huh. investing, commitment bias, so that everything I read, I have an ability to somehow triangulate and make it come out favorably. But in this case, you know, it's quite possible that if you think about the world from Berkshire's perspective, they are the largest railroad company in the world, which which runs on diesel. Um, they mm -hmm. need to fuel those those uh, extensive networks, um, and uh, they happen to be a large home builder, and um, uh, and so they are in need of of the products that are are being sold. So in Burlington, and then also Mid American Energy, is is the largest power producer in North America, and. They have to power up those those plants. Right. Now, owning owning a large stake in companies that are essentially just uh, energy plays um, is in a, a way a hedge for Berkshire's uh, ultimate demand to keep running uh, during times of shortages and to not be as exposed as they could be during times of rapid price increases. At the right. end of the day, it may simply be because they're good businesses that that have generated you know, projectable returns for a long time, and, and maybe that's enough. How do you view your portfolio of companies and their ability to uh, you know, navigate a global recession? The, our portfolio companies, which would tend to concentrate, as you've indicated, on co global consumer companies and, and businesses um, that are, um, you know, provide consumers with, with um, uh, fairly priced day-in and day-out products. It's not the sort of portfolio of companies that require borrowing to afford to buy. Uh, so they're everyday consumables. And, and so the battle there is fought on brand loyalty and on, uh, on uh, brand superiority. It, mm -hmm. it, it's at the heart of our investment philosophy, which is that we look for businesses where the consumer doesn't believe there to be an adequate substitute. And so if they are a, a Hershey bar consumer and not a, not a Cadbury bar consumer, you're going to have a very hard time peeling the money out of the hands of your Hershey to buy the, a Cadbury. <laughs> Similarly, if it's Budweiser versus Heineken, it's going to be very difficult to pry. Right. That gives man, manufacturers an enormous benefit because it allows them to have pricing power because of the uh, price inelastic demand or something that you can't do without. 
And so we look for, in every investment, whether the business has, offers a service or a product or a, that the user or consumer doesn't think there's an adequate substitute. It mm -hmm. shows up in brands. Uh, it can also show up in something as unusual as a company called Martin Marietta Materials, which is a crushed stone quarry company that, that serves the need of construction and road building, tunnel building, and all of the rest. Um, but you can't ship it more than 20 miles. So if you have a network of um, uh, depots and, and warehouses and, and quarries, um, your, con your, your consumers in the immediate 25 radius uh, mile radius really have to come to you. And so you have to be responsible in terms of the pricing, but you can raise prices. And I think one of the biggest fears in the marketplace today is the, is the return of the potential, the potential return for long-term inflation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you have to find businesses that are capable of pricing in, in excess of, or at least in tandem with, uh, the rise in prices caused by inflation without the loss of volume because the consumer believes that your product meets their needs uh, essentially in a, a superior way than others. And that's what we look for as investors. And so we look forward to a world, first of all, where we were able to cover the increasing in, in, in interest rates. So, for example, Nestle, I think their shares were up 7.5% revenue the first half of the year. Five percentage point of that was pricing and 2% of it plus was volume, which shows that they can raise price and not lose volume. That mm -hmm. comes from loyalty at the start, but then it comes from innovation. And that's where the world suddenly becomes extraordinarily exciting. Because that know your consumer is all about the uh, tools that they now, our portfolio companies now enjoy from uh, Google, Facebook. They offer Heineken and Nestle such transformative benefits by allowing them to know what the elasticities are on the run, uh, um, what product uh, to sell, what packaging, what promotion, what venue, uh, what, uh, what day. And when you line all of those up, it, it cuts through the fog that always accompanied advertising, as expressed by David Ogilvy, which is that 50% of your spending on advertising is a waste, but the problem is ex ante, you don't know which 50% it is that you're spending, so you have to spend the 100. Right. It's no longer the way, I'd say, of the top no. 10 companies that we invest with, um, almost all of them have at least a billion dollars um, uh, in savings underway under programs that, that take advantage of of uh, knowing better what their consumer is prepared to pay for what. You own Alphabet, the parent yes. company of Google. Yes, yeah. um, and, and one of the things that you've uh, written about to, again, limited partners is the, the fact that you, you didn't really fully participate in the fangs. Are there entry points now that you would consider given what's happened to the fang stocks? I mean, are, are you, as a value investor, and the fact that they some of their products really do have tremendous value, again, aside from Alphabet, which you do own. Well, we're, we're absolutely um, uh, looking, uh, researching, uh, uh, networking uh, in, in, in areas that we hadn't been directly before, but uh, we've, we've been pretty attuned to the, to the advertising component, even mm -hmm. without being an investor. That's, uh, that's a harder, higher stake uh, uh, g game to play in some ways. We're looking for businesses, and we're extremely pleased across the board year to date, that have the capacity to reinvest. Um, mm -hmm. That's the number one, one, number one variable. And, and so much of Wall Street uh, today is, is built around companies that promise to send back money 
Um, and our goal is to find businesses that because of new geographies or adjacent products or, or um, uh, demand growth in even mature markets have a huge pipeline of, of uh, spending programs. And you can think of few as, as strong a, an example of that as Heineken, which we've owned since 1986, but which um, today, over the past year, um, has amped up its investment in South Africa. It has investments underway in Nigeria. Uh, they're the largest brewer in, in um, uh, parts of Vietnam, and that business has spun off half a billion dollars of profit for them sometimes. Uh, large presence in, in Mexico. These are all places that Heineken, the parent company, can take funds from their mature markets and deploy them to capture new geographies, new consumers, new products, and new flavors. The innovation pipeline is, is deep, so they're spending heavily on that. They launched a product called 0.0, which is zero alcohol, and, and that actually tastes well and packaged uh, mm -hmm. with, with an appeal. Uh, they've recently, as a result of the COVID uh, downturn from the, in the pandemic, they were able to uh, increase their stake in India, where they today own um, over 60% of the largest brewer in India called Kingfisher. Now, the Indian uh, population drink 1.5 liters of beer per year. In China, Versus. it's close to 40. Uh, in the U.S., uh -huh. it's close to 60. In the Czech Republic, it's over 100. Uh, but 1.5 is extraordinarily modest, and it's because of the lack of investment, lack of branding, lack of uh, distribution. Heineken has all of those skills, and, and we now have the ability to invest behind a market of a billion three in population, um, which had not been available under, under Western uh, terms before right. now. And we're extremely excited about the, the table that's been set for the next decade that uh, Heineken now uh, enjoys. That is another right quality, as you said, that you look for yeah. in your portfolio companies, yes. is that a, a ability to expand their markets, yes. to know how to do it. Yeah and their willingness to do it in markets that are growing rapidly. So yes, yes. right, emerging markets is a good example yeah, of that. Yeah. And there's also a, uh, there's a psychological and a willingness by management too, because there is so much pressure on companies to give back now give in the back forms now, of a yeah. dividend yeah. or share buybacks. And you're yeah. saying that like a, your portfolio companies would forego that immediate gratification for shareholders in order to reinvest for longer yeah. term results. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? It's exactly correct. But, but yeah. think about think about the businesses that we own. Um, you know, 50% of them are still controlled by founding families. And so think how you'd manage a business if you were founding family. You would not try to maximize reported income on a quarterly basis. It, you would actually never really want to maximize reported income because it tells somebody that they should come by and take a look if there might be some taxes owed. Right. Um, you want to build wealth. And, and, and so long as you have an engine that's generating um, the funds uh, and then you can deploy it in a way that actually generates reported losses because of the clumsiness of starting up big spending programs, um, you really, you really have, have a deferred uh, gain from not having to uh, pay tax on, on as much because you have the, the offset of the startup businesses. Uh, weighing against reported profits. Now, Wall Street doesn't like that a bit. They want they want to calibrate the quarterly distributions to the penny, and they want that money to go out quickly, and it serves as a restraint against uh, profitable investment.
one of the other uh, strategies that you mentioned uses the word strategy called you know strategic focus and yes. again and getting through the kind of environment challenging environment we're in so on uh, th the best at what companies a company does is to focus you're looking for companies that focus on that is that that's something yes. you got from Warren Buffett as well that idea or well you know I, I I've obviously had the great um, you know, the fortune as we all have of, of, of learning from Warren and Charlie through their right. public works, public statements, and, and, and their principles and their actions. So it's just, they lay it out. It's just awfully hard to discipline and follow. Um, uh, and it's also hard to then reinvent themselves as they've done so fully over the years. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, I, I think Berkshire epitomizes uh, what we, we um, look for, which is they have, they have strategic advantages um, in many of their lines of business. That means that if somebody has a insurance company for sale, as Allegheny Corp recently did, they're likely to go talk to Warren because um, they have a business that has so much capital that they can take on risks that others can't. Because you know, if you're looking to place a $5 billion premium uh, to, to uh, protect against market declines on a basket of equity markets uh, worldwide, uh, which represent $30 billion, it's rare to get $5 billion to, to, um, to warranty that 32 won't, uh, won't go down. Which, but this actually happened. Berkshire was, was awarded the $5 billion, and you know, they, they invested it over the 15 years of, of uh, existence. Um, and the insured was perfectly sleep well at night because they knew Warren had $100 billion of claims-paying capacity. And anyone else who pitched that deal probably would have left themselves slight uh, on the capacity to pay. And so Berkshire was the logical and in some ways only option there. And, and it comes back in again and again and again in, in, in returns. They get to buy things that others don't. And then within the network of Berkshire, um, you have a, a host of businesses that they celebrate. One of them is Seize Chocolate which they described how since they bought the business in the early 1970s, it has returned to the parent company, sent back to Omaha, $2 billion on a $30 million investment. Wow. Uh, and, and today the business is still probably worth well over a billion. But the yeah. most interesting thing is um, we want businesses that can reinvest in their own business to grow. But within Berkshire, the extraordinary gift is that the, the founder of C's, who sold the business to Warren, still ran it doesn't have to deploy the capital. If he doesn't have compelling use, it just goes back to Berkshire, uh, Omaha, and he can focus running preeminent chocolate business, and Warren can deploy capital. And that model, I think, will, will remain active at Berkshire going forward, and I hope indefinitely, because it really, it really separates the distinction between businesses that have to grow and businesses that spin off cash and aren't required to grow. They're not penalized for not coming up with you know, a host of other things, as those businesses are uh, often if they're public companies. They stumble to try to deploy capital back. And, uh, and it, it's an important time when Berkshire's found many good businesses to buy when, when uh, family-controlled businesses try to extend into other areas and they find it more difficult than just maintaining their core business and sending capital back to Berkshire, who, who deploys it globally. Right. T Tom, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would you have all of us own some of in a diversified I, portfolio? 
I've just given you a summary of the one that it would be top on, on nine. They have this, it'd be Berkshire Hathaway, and it'd be based on the, the strength of their existing franchises, on the, on the premium position they command in making new acquisitions and, and, uh, and, and funding um, new investments, um, and, and just the, the, the lack of agency costs. There is right. no other business in the world that offers investors the same fair deal as Berkshire does, with all of their interests being denominated in the same shares that we own. Um, there's a massive alignment of interests that we find to be um, quite, quite uh, uh, rewarding. Tom, thank you very much for joining us on WealthTrack. Thank you very much for having me. Enjoyed it immensely. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is an exercise that award-winning financial advisor Mark Cortazzo is doing with his new clients in this changed investment era of higher interest rates and inflation. It is do an objective review of your portfolio. Cortazzo asks if you were starting with a clean slate, is it the portfolio you would build today? As he said, if the answer is yes, great. If not, make some changes that reflect the new realities, not the old ones. As John Maynard Keynes replied when criticized for changing his views, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? The financial facts have certainly changed. Your portfolio should reflect it. Next week, influential and always thought-provoking economist Dave Rosenberg joins us. I can't wait to hear his take on the economy and markets. In this week's extra feature, how does Tom Russo maintain his optimism and calm in the face of so much uncertainty? We'll find out. If you are so inclined, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for spending time with us. Have a relaxing weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.